If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. I'm Justin Jefferson with the Minnesota Vikings. Hi, I'm Jamar Chase with the Cincinnati Bengals. Why do I choose a sleep number smart bed? Because I only go all out. Because I can't be stopped. Because my sleep number smart bed helps me sleep at the right temperature all night. So we can take our game to the next level. That's why 80% of NFL players choose the sleep number smart bed. Sleep next level, perform next level. The Queen Sleep Number C2 Smart Bed is now only $9.90. Ends Monday. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. Yeah, he's very serious. I was going to do it for three days, right? Stand for three days. But he did for one hour and some minutes and he gave My up. My goodness, he's yeah. such a joke. We are waiting for him to communicate exactly what he, what the, the infringement he had <laughs> that made him decide that he will go on a research and come back again. <laughs> anyway, wish him luck. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us show. And that's how we wrap up the bulletin this afternoon. Log on to myjournaline.com. There's more of the news and updates of all the developing stories. So enjoy the rest of our programs. You should have been the coach. We ever knelt down to beg a coach to take Solomon Tari to a tournament? Yes. In 2010, I did it. Milo asked from, you to sign for his from, agent and you refused? Yes. Most, mostly at, at the point, nobody wants to come and play for the Blasters. Since 2008, semi finals, finals, semi finals, finals. If we continue like this, I can assure you and I can bet you. Everything happened negative concerning the team. It's me. What is deeper poor? Porter. Can he still win the world title? With my experience, it's a no-go area. Come across a lot of featherweights. A lot of featherweights. And Isidobe do not match them at all. First of all, I think the gym BA itself need a lot of schooling. Expect him to lead the judge. He's re-elected. He's in the Ghana football who crumble. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he did. If that is what is in his mind, then tell him he should stop it. They have to clean their heads. When the voice is Jamata in Ghana Sports, speak. They speak here on Prime Take. Every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on Joy News.
start and what it means going forward into the tournament. Later today as well, the host will be in action. I'm talking about the, you know, the defending champion and not the host. The defending champions, Senegal, will be in action uh, together with Cameroon, who are... Uh, the, next, the second most achieved side before Ghana on the list of achieved sides in the Africa Cup of Nations. We'll be looking into all of those games and more right here on AFCON Today, which is live on the Joy News Channel, the Joy Prime Channel, and also Joy 99.7 FM. Welcome to the show. We'll do a round of messages, and after that, we get straight into the conversations. Thank you very much for staying with us on AFCON today. My name is Nathaniel Atto, back by the rest of the Joy Sports team and bringing you AFCON today over the next one hour as we do a review of the matches that were played at the weekend with specific focus on Ghana. And then, of course, look ahead to the big games to be played later today. Uh, within the next 50 or so minutes, we're going to have uh, the defending champions start off the defense of their title. And the question for them, uh, Senegal, is are they able to do a back-to-back -back win of the AFCON title. Well, it's on that note that I welcome the gentleman here into the studio. Uh, Fentua, good to see you and Achu. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you, Nats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the World Cup stuff. Yes, we will. But, we will. Um, Achu, uh, before we, we get down to it, let's just quickly go through uh, the moments again. Uh, yeah. from yesterday's game. Mm -hmm. It's very important in establishing uh, a few things, um, especially with, you know, Konig Storfer, for instance, who was criticized very heavily by football fans for being in an offside position, being a professional footballer and playing in a league as advanced as he does. Let's quickly uh, do uh, the moments in yesterday's game between Ghana and Kipver, and then after that we get down to the conversations. By him, as Kipver get us underway. And it has served them incredibly well. 
It might serve them well here as well. That's a fine strike. Good save as well. But they can't clear the lines. Oh, at least the semi-final. And six straight tournaments. Good ball in for the middle. For Semenyo against the post. Can you believe it? Spilled by Vazinha. Onto the head of Konigsdorfer. And somehow Kvert survived. But not for long. Super strike to bring Ghana level. What a hit. Ashimiru with it. And he goes over to the Black Stars fans to celebrate. And well he might because that was a super strike. Well, what a moment this was. Paintsill played it into Semenu. Vazinha, he knew nothing about it, Konigsdorfer. And then the clearance from Logan Costa just wasn't good enough. And what about that for a hit? Clean as a whistle. Drilled into the bottom corner. What did that come off his arm? It's a question that may be asked. But let's enjoy the, the strike in any case. Look at that. This will be the angle. Well, Vazinha never saw it. And he just... And now they do go to the screen because, as said, I think that hit the arm of Konigsdorfer. He's not happy with the goal. He has ruled it out. Drama. Cape Verde's lead survives. Trying to take the sting out of any confrontation between the two, and they're still going. Well, pretty mild-mannered as present. Are you with the corner? Swung in and into the back of the net. One of the most dangerous options. In it comes from Ayu. And he just... Third round of fixtures in the group. Little bit of hesitation in the back. A chance into Kate Dunn to win it. Oh, calamity in the back for Ghana. Hesitation through the legs of Sally Sue. It comes to Gary Rodriguez. It situations but you know we lack a lot of experience and you know I know you can't say anything but at the end of the day if you look at the squad that we have I'm more than few, 10 is the first half gone. Yeah. More than 10 is the first half gone. So this type of mistakes will happen and we need to learn we need to learn quick because half is not waiting for anyone and you know it's it's not it's not easy, it's hard but uh, we're men and we need to stand up and, and face the reality. Coach Chris Hutton says this is definitely a disappointing uh, performance. And then, uh, Jordan Ayu also says uh, lack of experience on the part of most of the players is what created this scenario. Um, Achu, tell me something. What is wrong with the Black Stars team you saw yesterday? What is not wrong with the Black Stars team? <laughs> it's difficult to point to anything that gives you a glimmer of hope as far as this team is concerned. And for me... There are two sides of every football team. What they do when in possession, what they do when not in possession. So you look at the structure of the team and how the individual components work together to, see, to give you a semblance of an identity. You don't get any of that in the national team with the Black Stars. When the match starts, you look at the players' reaction. And, and that is independent of the structural or technical issues and how the team has been set up. Just the attitude and the way they go in for those duels, those are things that you cannot coach. You either, that kind of attitude, giving everything for the crest, for the country, you either have it or you don't. It's not a coach that will have to come and teach you. But I thought yesterday, the bigger problem was a team that had been sent out there without the adequate 
tactical preparation to deal with whatever problems that Cape Verde could throw at them. And so in terms of what we did on the ball, you could tell that, yes, there was a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2, whatever it was, but there was a gulf between the central midfield and that attack. And Chris Hilton essentially asked one man, who, by the way, was making his AFCON debut for the Black Stars yesterday to cover about a 60 rate, right? About a 60 yard of space between the defense and then even the attack. So whenever Ghana attempted to press, they would play, they play through us easily. Their half-hearted press or whatever the Black Stars attempted was simply not good enough. When we were in possession, you could not see that this was a team that had been trained, right, to go out there and play in a clearly defined manner with the various components working together. So when do we start the attack? How do we start the attack? Which side of, our, of the team was Ghana's biggest strength? You did not see that. There were many people who questioned Baba Idris when, um, what's his name, Ashimi Rabaji. But I sat down and I was thinking, if you look at the individual instructions given to these players and the way they reacted when not, out of when not in possession, these guys are not terrible. The problem, however, was that the defending itself was not synchronized. They have not been coached to deal with the way Cape Verde played. And so one player makes an attempt to press. He gets the ball passed around him. They draw rings around him. He gives up. The next player is caught in two minds. He has inertia. Do I engage? Do I stay in position? Because he knows that his instruction is not to move out of shape. If he does, it triggers a chain of reaction, a chain reaction. And so the whole shape goes into disarray. And then the other players are caught in two minds. Do we also move forward? Because for every team, the arrangements that you see on the pitch are done such that the spaces afford them enough opportunity not to overexert themselves in case they have to engage and then win possession. Look at the spaces in between Ghana's players. Every time one player pressed and then the ball got knocked around him, it didn't look coached. It didn't look synchronized. It, you could not tell what exactly the team wanted to do. And in situations like that, players are going to look terrible. And at the end of the day, it circles back to the problem of coaching. In the nearly one year that Chris Hilton has been in charge of this team, what would you say, and, and to all of our viewers, to all of our listeners, what would you say are Ghana's best combinations in defense, in midfield, in attack? They don't exist. Teams are made up of smaller components that come together. And so in midfield, you look at which profile of players complements themselves well, not just on paper, but in real-time situations. I mean, when all of us saw the lineup, how many said that, oh, this was a bad lineup? It wasn't a bad lineup on paper, but when the game starts and players are being dragged out of position, it is the muscle memory that will come to the fore. It is what they have practiced in so many hours of training session. It is what they have tried in real-time scenario and have found solutions to. That is what will come to them naturally because the coach is not going to be there every time to scream. But what he has taken the team through over the eight months or so that he has been in charge, the friendlies, the qualifiers, the hours of time spent on the training ground, that is what they will be able to fall in. It does not appear to me that there is a clear idea behind the coaching of this particular team in terms of what the concepts are, what the coach thinks is the best way to win games. And for national teams, there needs, there needs to be that consistency, and I don't get that from Chris Hilton. Um, we were, we're also looking at that goal scenario. I mean, you look back and you're, you're asking yourself, how could we have lost out on this opportunity? It would have been a different story today and a different conversation if that goal uh, held. I'm talking about Majid Ashimeru. I mean, would give him credit for the execution, However, Konigsdorfer and the positioning and the criticism is at this stage of your life in professional football, you shouldn't be caught dead ever in such situations. Well, <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, I mean, every player gets caught offside. He was caught offside. I don't even think that was his biggest problem uh, on the day itself. I think Konigsdorfer's biggest problem on the day was that his coach set him up to fail. In, in all honesty, and as you mentioned it only slightly, I do not think, for example, that where Konigsdorfer played yesterday, he had ever played there in his entire professional career. He's a, very, he's a wide player, at best a second striker. Number 10 and being asked to be the one 
to dictate a certain play and link attack to defense, midfield to attack. That is simply not his job. So in terms of team selection, yes, I think lots of people had cried for Konigsdorfer to be given an opportunity. But on the biggest day of his career, and this guy had never played for the national team in a competitive fixture before. The first time ever when he has to play for the national team in a competitive fixture, the coach starts him in a position that he is not familiar with. In but he almost scored. In the position, yes. Well, it was the rebound that resulted. He did. He did almost score. And that wasn't even his closest chance. Mm. That would not have stood, but that was, an off, that was a humble. A humble, would not yeah, have stood. His clearest chance was a Gideon Mensah cross to him yeah, that yeah. he missed, mm. left-footed. That was his clearest chance. Sure. Because that ball that hit the goalpost, if he had scored, it would have been ruled out for offside. It clearly came off his arm. Okay? But I'm saying that his overall contribution in the game was very, very limited, very inefficient. And if you would permit me, I have a certain graphic just to show you exactly Konigstorfer's uh, uh, contribution in this particular match. Mm. So, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, I will show you what Konigstorfer's heat map looks like as far as his entire game contribution is concerned. So, if we would just... Now, this is Konigstorfer. He was asked to play in the number 10 position. Yeah. Okay, his job primarily... His most operative areas should have been here, at this part of the pitch. But look at where Konigsdorfer finds himself, Nat. Where does he find himself mostly? Wide. On the wings. Very wide. That's why yesterday, Ashimeru seemed to have been struggling. And Ghana was overpowered in midfield an awful lot. And it didn't look like we had a, and, and a the third midfielder. The overpowering you're talking about happened very, very early in the very game. Very early in the game. Yeah. And that's because... Instead of him to be at that third midfielder that drops deep to help the other two, he, was, he found himself drifting into his more natural positions. And what did I say earlier about his more natural position? It's wide. And the heat map doesn't lie. Look at all his touches. Very wide. And a few touches from inside the box. And this black dot you see here was the big chance that he missed around the penalty area. So this was a big problem. Okay, so he's not connecting the defense uh, to attack. He's not connecting the midfield to attack. He's basically found himself having to drift wide and occupying positions that were already, uh, you know, overcrowded. Whereas his most important areas, per the definition of his, his role, should have been in the middle of the park, helping those other two. But we, don't, we didn't get that from him. And that bit is also very important because... It's a when, when you take away Konigsdorfer, you've essentially taken away the protective cover that the two central midfielders Exactly. Have. So you find many scenarios where Ashimeru Majid is being dragged into the wide areas because he can sense the danger. And those, that is the natural instinct of the midfielders. Once he realizes that the nearest player does not have the cover needed, he will step in. He does that acres of space in behind him. Same goes for Baba Idrisu. And so you realize that we were very overpowered in midfield, and that was largely due to the deployment of Konigsdorf and where they played him. And Chris Eaton didn't help anybody with the substitution, because when he brought on Andre Ayu to do that exact same job, because as part of the jobs of a number 10, your job is to help the, the, the forward players lead the press. Where was that energy going to come from? And we'll get to his substitutions in a bit. Now, yesterday, so I feel that Konigstorfer was always set to fail right from the beginning. Now, let's move to his contribution. And the numbers don't lie in terms of his actual contribution in the game in touches and in passes. Oh. In the entire game before his substitution, the number 10, who is supposed to be the axis of the team's uh, complete yeah. possession, only had 17 touches of the ball and completed four passes. Four passes for the entire duration of the time that he was on the pitch. He lost possession four times. He had no key pass in the game, and he missed one big opportunity. This is a performance of a player that was completely lost. Is it his fault? Absolutely not. He didn't start himself, and even if he wanted to start himself, or he could start himself, he would not have started himself where Chris Eaton played it. What yeah. was problematic was yeah. that after about a quarter of an hour, it became evident that 
he had too much space to cover when he went out of possession. And when he had the ball, the support system simply did not exist. So whenever he gets the ball, you realize that he tried to swivel around the opponents or try to dribble and then take two or three touches before he gets close to the nearest player. And that also points to another structural problem, the spacing between our players even when in possession. It is not possible to get any kind of creativity in the final third if your best creator by definition in that game is so far removed from the other players that he's supposed to combine with. There you go. And in the past, we've had, we, we have been blessed with very good midfielders or even defensive midfielders that could actually do the job. Mm. Yesterday's game, and Babai Juicy's performance highlighted yet again our deficiency in that position. I took, uh, uh, let me just show you another graphic highlighting Babai Juicy's performance. And it's so appalling for DM, for holding midfielder. Mm. Look at this. Babay Jusu, for a DM yesterday, did not win a single tackle in the entire match. He had 50 touches of the ball, but he didn't win a single tackle. And that's why yesterday you saw we, were, we seemed to have been under pressure an awful lot of the time. He lost possession eight times. And one of them is memorable because it was on the edge of his own box. It was definitive. In the, on the edge of his own box, he's completely lost his mind. He's, 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 he's out of touch with what's happening. He takes one touch, two touches of the ball, and the opposition player comes from behind him to win possession, and he fouls him in a very, very dangerous area. Grand duels for our DM. He only won one out of four attempted. He can't pass the ball long. So even accurate long balls, that is one of the, you see, so when we analyze even teams, a lot of, like, a lot of the modern DMs, part of their job is to be able to do that one switch pass, one long ball into the forward place that could easily create space. He attempted four of those, he only got one correct. So the passing mm. isn't great, the tackling isn't great. So what exactly did he do in the middle the of the The irony about Baba's performance is that holding midfielders are risk averse. So they, yes. they play a lot safe. of voluminous passes which are safe. And so you'd find that a lot of, often when you strike the average of their percentages, they very, on few occasions, misplace passes. But if you're making safe passes and you're still misplacing them, there's a problem. Because presumably those safe passes are such that the distance between you and the player is so short it takes away the risk of you actually being able to misplace the pass, mm. right? And often there is no opponent between you and that player. But Baba Idris somehow manages to misplace these passes. And the other thing for me, which even indicts him the more, is the timing of the tackles and the fact that he can't seem to win these tackles. And sometimes he doesn't make them at all. If you as would remember Ghana versus Comoros a few months ago, he didn't seem perturbed. He just looked on nonchalantly. And then we considered that goal. It is worrying that for a holding midfield, I mean, you, what gives you value or any kind of credit is your ability to stop play and then those simple safe passes that allows the team to breathe. Because if you keep misplacing the passes, what it means is that the opponent gets the ball and then it comes right back to the team. So the team is under more pressure. But by doing so, he invites more pressure than he prevents. Actually, we'll be coming uh, into the, you know, the, the substitutions, and we'll take them very quickly yeah. before we bring in Karim to bring us all of the updates uh, in terms of the figures from uh, the game that we saw. So we're still live here on AFCON today, which is on three platforms. I'm talking about Joy Prime, which is on 281 on DSTV, Joy News, which is on 421 on DSTV, and Joy 99.7 FM. Greetings to all who are watching us from all over the world. Let's now get down quickly to the substitutions and what you make of them as well. <laughs> First Let me of begin all, with you. I'll just be brief. I mm. think that that's one thing Chris Hutton got absolutely wrong, and I'll just go through them very quickly. I think Jordan Ayu overstayed on the pitch. Uh, I think that he... He, he came off 18 minutes too late. I think that Osman Bukhari should have come on much, much earlier for Jordan Ayu. I, don't, I didn't understand the Andre Ayu change at all. I, I'm not sure if he just brought him in to try and, and, and break the record or what was he supposed to come and do exactly at that time. Because Andre Ayu's change is coming in completely took the steam out of our attack. Breaking the record you mean for an eighth appearance at the nation? Exactly. Okay. Because at the time that he took Semenyo off, and the time he took Pencil off, 
that was a period where Ghana had any sort of sustained dominance and pressure on the Cavadian defense. I didn't think that the two of them should have come off. And even when he brought on a player like, uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Niyama, he did not create enough space for Niyama to operate. Because when Niyama came in, you realize that he was very ineffective because the Cavadian defense had, they were under no pressure whatsoever, so one of them just stuck with him. And there was no chance for him to, and uh, no space for him to operate. So I think that, uh, first of all, I, I think wrong personnel that he brought on in, in, in the form of Andre Ayu. And I think that the ones he really should have taken off, he didn't. Because at the start of the second half, that was when our forward players really started to exert themselves. And that interpositional play and changes, switching positions, really worried the Cavadians. And we were knocking on the door. And Pinsel in particular was very, very lively, getting some very dangerous crosses into the box. And we already knew, per scouting report, that Cavade struggled to deal with crosses. And if you realize, even the goal was a cross that came in that they failed to deal with. Then Collins Dorfer yeah. got on the end of it, hit the post, came back, and Ashimeri scored. That one. The, the, the goal itself that we equalized, Jiku's goal came from a cross, a corner kick. So Pinsel was beginning to do that. Nioma well. is not that player that will get the crosses in. So I didn't understand the essence of that change. So in that respect, I feel like he too let us down. And then the one last thing that really broke the camel's back, at the point that he took off Ashimiri and brought in Salis, what was he thinking here? What, was he satisfied with the one-all draw? Was he trying to protect it? I don't get it. Obviously, because uh, Majid Ashimeru had given proof that when uh, get when he is placed in the right place, he could just he do could something score. magical. And that shot, that shot, uh, Majid Ashimeru must be given credit for. We're still here on Afghan today. It's time to do some, um, you know, some uh, statistics. And our man on the ground with all of that is Karim. Uh, Karim joins me today with more. Karim, good to see you. How are you doing? Everything cool? I'm doing very okay. Very well. Good to see you, man. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, you, you, you gave us some, you know, statistics about Ghana and Cape Verde yeah. and how we had hardly, you know, conceded goals against them. And now... Conceded yes. <laughs> twice. My no, prayer, here we go. My prayer didn't work. So, <laughs> God didn't listen to me. <laughs> Wait, you prayed? I prayed, but that's it. God didn't hear me. <laughs> the American high school basketball coach, Tim Notke, he says hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's the definition of the Ghana versus Kibverdi. Okay, great. When you are looking at it, comparing our squads player by player, Kipverdi's player, uh, first 11, only three of them play in the top five leagues in Europe. But if you are going to Ghana's squad and you are counting them player by player, we have players in the Champions League, Conference League, Europa League. So we have the talent, but Kipverdi has the hard work. And who wants it more? The, the hard work wants it more, and they want it. So let's look at the numbers from the game. What I'm going to be focusing much on in this graphic is the XG. The XG is the use of complex models like where the player is, the kind of shot he has taken, the number of defenders in front of him, the quality of the chances Ghana has had in that game, and the quality of the chances Kibved had in that game. Look at the XG of Ghana, 1.7. Where did that come from? That is coming from 10 shots Ghana has attempted in that game. Those 10 shots, only runs for the Abu Konisdorfer. Fentu was looking at his numbers. Only him has attempted four of those shots. But what did he do with them? And those four shots in total has 1.0 XG. If you are looking at XG, the total XG is 1. If you are calculating the quality of the chance. The total XG is 1. And if you have a chance that has an XG of 1, it means that there's 100% chance of an, average, of an average player converting that chance. And runs for the Abua. His four shots he attempted in that game combined into 1.0 XG. And that one he dragged wide from the, um, 
this guy's cross, um, Gideon Mensah's cross, yes. has an XG of 0 0.85. That, that means that there's, there was an 85% chance of him, an average oh. player, scoring that chance. But he dragged it wide. That's the story of the game. And Verdi, we shot ourselves in the foot and gave, him, and gave them all the chances to convert. They have an XG of 2.99. That is, Great. they were expected to score three goals in that game. But because of the saves, um, uh, Richard Ofori, who himself was complicit in both goals we've conceded, because of the, he saved us. And it's like one step forward and two steps back. Made some really nice saves, but so gave away he gave us chances. a better sweet experience, more or less. Yes. Mm. So look at the first chance they had, uh, they converted. That is Jamiro Montero. If you're looking at talking about talent, a player that was released by San Jose earthquakes. He plays in the MLS, and he's been released. He's not good enough, and he doesn't have a club now. <laughs> How do you allow a player like this to score against you? Nah, that's weird. Yeah, difficult. Yeah. And the second goal, his chance, um, uh, Montero, his yeah. chance has 0 0.69. There was, he didn't create it. Richard Ofori gave it to him. 0 0.69. It was about 69% chance that that should be a goal. And he didn't waste it like on his Dolpha. He converted it. Then the second chance, also Salis who gifted it to Gary Rodriguez, a player who plays in the Turkish Super League, and Karaguku. He plays, he doesn't get any kind of quality football, but when any player is facing the Black Stars, it's like, oh, they are facing some Barcelona, some kind of motivation. But our players, they don't work hard. And his chance has 0.93 XG. That is 93% chance that that should be a goal. And he didn't fail to take it. Possession. Karim, can I say something? Yes, come in. This is so stark and so embarrassing. The entire match, Ghana had one shot on target. And that's the goal they scored, yeah. the header. Yes. One shot on target in 90 minutes against Kevet. Kevet had five shots on target. So it is evident from this that Kevet more than deserved to win. Yes. Like Karim's SG says, they should have beaten us by at least three, three goals. goals. Look. If you we were that poor, if you mm. take these numbers, compare them to any Black Stars game under Chris Hutton, you're likely to find similar numbers, both in possession, out of possession, chances conceded, chances created, right? All of these. And it is why yesterday's performance did not surprise any of us. The only heartbreaking thing was that even when our expectations were low, they still managed to disappoint us. Because at the end of the day, you look at the other, the two sides of the game, what the team does when not in possession. Chris Hilton made his name as someone who builds compact, solid teams with a clear identity in terms of how they fashion out yeah. goal-scoring chances. Never mind, it's often on the counter-break. If you look at the Black Stars team, we have significantly gotten worse as the months have gone by under yeah. Chris Hilton. This is, this is pretty uh, difficult to deal with, especially considering that we have a big fixture awaiting us on Thursday, and that's one we're going to be going into in detail. But Karim, thank you so much. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be doing some more with you uh, here on the show. So thank you. Um, we're going to be doing some more as we go ahead. Remember, there are big fixtures this afternoon, and uh, what will be the story of Senegal under uh, the man with swag, Aliou Sisi, a man who's captained the side before at the FIFA World Cup and knows what it means to grow a team and uh, has also been at the receiving end of a lot of patience on the part of the Senegalese FA and the people in general. Is that able to transfer into what will be some five-star performances which could retain the title for them? Well, we'll see how all of that goes. But right now, we'd want to just do a round of messages and after that, we'd get back to uh, the analysis here and also uh, look ahead to the games to expect later this afternoon. This is AFCON today on the Joy News, Joy Prime channels, and also on Joy 99.7 FM. Stay with us.
Get us underway. And it has served them incredibly well. It might serve them well here as well. That's a fine strike. Good save as well. But they can't clear the lines. Of at least the semi-final. And six straight tournaments. Good ball in for the middle. For Semenyo against the post. Can you believe it? Spilled by Vazinha. Onto the head of Konigsdorfer. And somehow Kvert survives, but not for long. Super strike to bring Ghana level. What a hit. Ashimeru with it. And he goes over to the Black Stars fans to celebrate. And well, he might, because that was a super strike. Well, what a moment this was. Paintsill played it into Semenu. Vazinha, he knew nothing about it, Konigsdorfer. And then the clearance from Logan Costa just wasn't good enough. And what about that for a hit? Clean as a whistle. Drilled into the bottom corner. What did that come off his arm? It's a question that may be asked. But let's enjoy the, the strike in any case. Look at that. This will be the angle. Oh, Vazinha never saw it. And he just... And now they do go to the screen because, as said, I think that hit the arm of Konigsdorfer. He's not happy with the goal. He has ruled it out. Drama. Kvert's lead survives. Trying to take the sting out of any confrontation between the two, and they're still going. Pretty mild-mannered as present. Ayu with the corner. Swung it in and into the back of the net. One of the most dangerous options. In it comes from Ayu. And he just... Third round of fixtures in the group. Little bit of hesitation in the back. A chance into Keita to win it. Oh, calamity in the back for Ghana. Hesitation through the legs of Salisu. It comes to Gary Rodriguez. In Kvert on the verge and they've done it they have beaten Ghana and the Black Stars 2023 campaign has started just as their 2021 campaign by him as Kvert get us underway and it has served them incredibly well it might serve them well here as well. That's a fine strike. Good save as well. But they can't clear the lines. Of at least the semi-final. And six straight tournaments. Good ball in for the middle. For Semenyo against the post. Can you believe it? Spilled by Vazinha. Onto the head of Konigsdorfer. And somehow Kvert survived. But not for long. Super strike to bring Ghana level. What a hit. Ashimeru with it. And he goes over to the Black Stars fans to celebrate. And well he might because that was a super strike. Well what a moment this was. Paintsill. Played it into Semenu. Vazinha. He knew nothing about it. Konigsdorfer. And then the clearance from Logan Costa just wasn't good enough. And what about that for a hit? Clean as a whistle. Drilled into the bottom corner. Well, did that come off his arm? It's a question that may be asked. But let's enjoy the, the strike in any case. Look at that. This will be the angle. Well, Vazinha never saw it. And he just... And now they do go to the screen because, as said, I think that hit the arm of Konigsdorfer. He's not happy with the goal. He has ruled it out. Drama. 
Cape Verde's lead survives. Trying to take the sting. Well, there we go. We asked the question earlier if the Black Stars can qualify, and we've got loads and loads of responses on our uh, respective social media handles at JoySportsGH, and this is specifically on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Show them the table first. Mm. No, the other way. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, that way. Okay. There. That's the table. Yeah, we go. So. Kiverd are on three points, Egypt on one, Mozambique on one, and Ghana on zero. Uh, this is one we, we haven't seen in quite a while. Of course, we started off on a jerky note, um, you know, back in, uh, you know, at the, at the tournament that was played in uh, Cameroon as well. So this is the reality of the situation. So now we need to um, yeah. quickly uh, take a look at some of the comments that have yeah. come. And go. Max Black says, if they could not beat Kiverd, I don't think so. Uh, uh, Chulwe Kabi says Kiverd and Mozambique uh, are going to go through from this group. Uh, Umar Farouk Lawal says Ghana and Nigeria, uh, we are brothers. Let's just finish the group stage quietly and come back home. <laughs> Ouch. That really hurts. Misery loves company. Yeah. <laughs> Baule David says the GFA have to ban the Black Stars from any tournament for five years. If not, we are now uh, the most useless team of any. Well, those are very strong words. I, I don't think uh, we should encourage those. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Adudakwa says, look at how they played against uh, Cape Verde. We have no chance against Mozambique or Egypt. All right. And then this one from uh, Martin Bayou says, uh, from the look of things, there's a very, very big task ahead of Ghana. More is needed to be done. Otherwise, we're almost home as soon as possible. Wisdom says Ghana is going to qualify. And then Francis Kwesi says, I believe they will qualify. Uh, Belindo Enoch says, uh, early, if the best, they didn't arise, uh, they'll continue till the end. Well, I don't really get that. Okay, so this is what, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, a feel of the kinds of responses we're getting on our various social media handles. This was specifically from Facebook. Now we want to quickly take a look at the games to expect later this afternoon. In fact, uh, the hosts are kicking off their game in a couple of minutes. So there we go in Group C. It's uh, Senegal, the defending champions against the Gambia at 5 p.m., Cameroon will play Guinea, and then later this evening, it will be Algeria facing Angola. Let's begin with what I describe as the father and son affair. The Gambia coming from a whole load of, you know, bits of drama. Now they're here uh, to play, you know, in, in the very big one against the very big ones. Now, the Gambia... You know, the bonus issues, the issue with their flights and all of that. Now they have to put that behind them and, and squeeze water out of stone and play the game. How, how do you see this going? I think Senegal have got the advantage. They've had a very smooth preparation. And one thing that, is, that will be an advantage, not just to them, but for any country that feels a lot of these players who are playing in Saudi Arabia, is that they are significantly well-rested and much fresher than... The players who play in these leagues where they play high-octane football or where the exertions are far more significant than they do. And if you like, take, take a look at some of the best performances we've seen at this tournament. We saw Seko Fofana. We saw the Mozambique midfield pair in that game. And I think that that will go for Sadio Mane as well after the problems that he had at Bayern Munich, making the trip to Saudi Arabia where there's less pressure allows him to be able to play his game, but also arrive at this tournament in optimum condition, I mean, for, for Senegal. I think that the manner in which the Gambia handled the bonus row, the travel issues and all of that, point to deeper cracks in terms of how that team is managed, because I don't think it is pardonable that they had to go through, I mean, the transit and some of the things that happened, spent about 12 hours in transit, I think that you expect that with a proper protocol unit that ensures and that is, works ahead of time and deals with some of these issues, those challenges perhaps would have been averted. But then again, you also look at the sports ministry, the FA itself, or the Football Federation, and the promises that they had made failed to do that. Players decided not to take the final training session because of that. Those are issues you cannot simply wish away and expect that they have no impact on the team they will. And when it comes to playing against a team like Senegal, who don't necessarily need to be at full throttle to get the results, they've got enough firepower, I think they'll blow them away. Well, um, a, a walkthrough, a smooth one for Senegal, maybe. 
Yeah, I expect Senegal to win. I think this is, interestingly, the last two meetings between these two sides, Senegal have not won. So mm. it's really that tight uh, between the two of them. Um, I think the last time they met, and now Senegal are a completely different side. Uh, but you cannot underestimate the fighting spirit of the Gambia. The last Afghan, they made it out to the group stages when nobody expected them to do so. And, you know, a lot of the Senegalese players, a lot of the Gambian players have Senegalese background. And, you know, so there's a very interesting rivalry uh, between those two countries. Gambia always struggling for that recognition uh, because they're buried right in the middle of Senegal. Uh, so I expect this to be a battle. Uh, but I think in the end, the quality will just shine through. Senegal needs to be careful because the record for defending champions at the Afghan <laughs> is not great. Exactly. So it's almost like a curse. So they have to be very, very careful not to fall uh, foul of, of that particular one. And what I'm talking about specifically uh, is that since 2006, no... Uh, in fact, since Egypt successfully defended the title after 2010, yeah. no other country has been able to defend it. And in fact, uh, the last two winners, all of them, when Nigeria won in 2018, they didn't even qualify for the next uh, half points. Uh, when Egypt won their third successive title in 2010, they didn't qualify for two successive tournaments. Uh, Algeria won 2019 and got kicked out in the group stages in the following tournament. So Senegal need to be very, very careful. Um, but I think their performances in qualifying has shown that they are quality side, and I think they'll get the win. Well, Senegal have a trend to reverse the trend which has befallen defending champions uh, generally, uh, according to my guest here in the studio. Let's throw the focus now on Cameroon playing Guinea. I think Cameroon are one of my favorites for this tournament, but in Guinea, they face a team that has added an extra layer of quality. Uh, not because they found it outside anywhere, but one, the former Liverpool midfielder who these days spent more time on the pitch other than, as opposed to what he used to do back then when he was playing, uh, spending more time with the medics. Um, him, and then Serge Girassi. If you go back to the last three Afghan appearances of Guinea, they are one of the most exciting teams to watch. But that killer instinct, that extra layer of quality that allows them to convert those chances, goal-scoring opportunities into goals, convert that draw into a win, is something that they have not had. In Nabicator, they have got perhaps a midfielder of world-class potential who unfortunately has not had a clean bill of health to play. In the last two years, we've seen him become a completely different monster in the national team. And that's how come they've been able to come this far and perhaps have a bit more credibility to them. Because in terms of the brand of football, in terms of the identity that they have got, it is not too dissimilar from the football that we've seen them play over the years. They are just able to, these, these days, put games away. And if you look at Jurassic, he may be, what, a one half a season wonder like some people are referring to him but when it comes to the afcon you don't really need a big reputation you just need that work ethic and then the quality but the work ethic is enough and, and he's one player that i think is going to have a very good tournament however they are going against a team that has been forged in adversity sebastian basong a few weeks ago was saying that if all seems well with Cameroon, we should write them off because theirs is a country that was forged in adversity, um, that was created in chaos, and that this is the sort of, exactly the sort of environment that they thrive in. My only disappointment is how they've tolerated the Andrew Nana nonsense. I mean, for a country that has been blessed with as many great goalkeepers as Cameroon have, I cannot for the life of me imagine Antoine how... Bell, Jack Songo. <laughs> I cannot... I mean, there was a point... Cameroon had to deliberately drop one of their goalkeepers because the two of them could not coexist in the national team. And yet, they are tolerating so much disrespect from potentially the least talented of the Cameroonian goalkeepers I have seen. <laughs> Which makes no sense. And it's not as if this is happening at a time when Onana was at the peak of his powers. Or is among even... And you have a Mo Salah from Liverpool who's there from day one. Liverpool are in a title context. But Salah says, this is the Afghan. It's the most important thing for me. He's shown up. Man United are, are going through a rotten run of form. They, they've been in perpetuity since Alex Ferguson retired. So what exactly is he fighting for at Old Trafford? And yet, 
the Cameroonian football. Look, the whole story doesn't make sense from Onana's angle. When you consider the size of Cameroon and how much success they've had, their history with great goalkeepers, none of this makes sense, except to think that there is someone in there who perhaps has a very good relationship, and I'm talking here about Samueleto with Andre Onana, and feels because of some of the allegations in the past about his contribution to the decision to ask Onana from the World Cup, he perhaps needs to compensate him. Actually, you've raised a very important point, and I'm just asking myself a very quick question. Look, Cameroon... Don't get it twisted. It's the second most achieved side of the Africa Cup of Nations with their uh, five titles. But this relationship between Samuel Eto'o and Rigobert Song, um, hmm. how, how's it going from where you sit? Eto'o basically stalled him there yeah. uh, as the coach. He's his friend. And despite a lot of criticism and calls for him to fire him, he continuously backed him. He went to the World Cup. They didn't qualify the group after the group stages, but they beat Brazil. Beat Brazil they and couldn't qualify. A big pride in that. In mm. fact, I think they only now really missed out on goal difference or something mm. like that, because they shouldn't have lost to Switzerland, that game, uh, that they lost, and then they drew the other game, and then they, they beat Brazil. But I think, um, you know, we'll see, I, I, I don't necessarily think that Song was previously in charge of the local national team, and then the U23s, uh, before he took over the indomitable Lions. So he's got a bit of coaching experience, but I don't think at the moment he's the most talented. But I think they've looked at the Ali Zizi example, and they're thinking if one Rastaman can achieve it across <laughs> West Africa, another can do it here. That definitely was on a very, very light note. <laughs> Nobody messes uh, with that man. But I really want to talk about yesterday's games, uh, yeah. Egypt and mm. Nigeria. Mm. Egypt Very briefly, against, before we go to Algeria, yes. Yes. Uh, mm. Egypt... Um, you know, against uh, Mozambique. I think that game gave us all a reminder, yet again, that the Afghan is not won by the team with the most experience. Yeah. Neither is it won by the team that has the most talent. And that's why yesterday, even though Egypt started as many as seven players who had started in the last Afghan final, and Mozambique only had one player who had previously played at the Afghan, they still held their own. Yeah. They had Mohamed Salah. They were players playing for UD Songo in Mozambique, where they've not had a league football since November. Because the league ended in November. And yet, when they took on Egypt, they matched them for energy, for desire, for commitment. And quite frankly, they were unfortunate to lose this game. And that's why we asked from the Black Stars uh, to draw this game, I beg your pardon. And that's why we asked for the black, from the Black Stars. You don't need to have the most talented team. You just need to be the one, and Karim is perfectly right. You just need to be the one that wants it most. I don't think yesterday we wanted it most. Mozambique wanted it, and they got a result. Very unfortunate that they couldn't get the win. And now, from all analysis, when the group stages started, or when the draw was made, everybody thought Mozambique was going to be the whipping boys of the group. Certainly, right now, they are not going to be. Mm. So if you don't get a result against Egypt who themselves need a result against Ghana because Kevet is not going to be an easy game, that last game against Mozambique would be deja vu. Mm. Just like we wanted, desperately wanted a draw against Comoros, and somehow we ended up losing. Mm. We must avoid that by beating Egypt, in my mm. opinion. <laughs> yeah. As for Nigeria, well, it's, it's basically Ghana. I, I say it all the time. Ghana and Nigeria are the Manchester United and Chelsea... <laughs> Of African football. Who is Manchester United and who is Chelsea? Blasters are Man United. <laughs> the ones, the prima donnas who think they've got it, you know, and they spars glory. That's all, they, that's all they do. That's all they do. All right? And they think that they've got something special, but it's not. So they're struggling. Arsenal, and that's okay. We're <laughs> talking about, of course, it, it's, uh, it, it's Nigeria. Nigeria. Every season they win. The, the, the most beautiful jersey award. Nigeria always has the nicest jersey just as Arsenal. And every tournament, it looks like they're going to win it. And every year is their year. Every tournament is their tournament. And it never comes together. Well, you know, these, so, yeah. So they're going to get kicked out, Nigeria. So, uh, uh, as for the blast, I still believe that we're going to go all the way. Um, but Nigeria, they will make it out of the group. As to how far they go after that, I didn't see enough cohesion. There's still a team, a work in progress, still struggling. 
uh, certainly it wouldn't be easy for them. Their next game is on Wednesday against Cote d'Ivoire. That will be a cracker, and I know everybody will be looking forward to that. But just before we wrap it up, uh, Achu, I just want you to give me what your thoughts are uh, in a minute and a half on, you know, Algeria. You know, they won the last two editions of the tournament, and they have a lot of work to do as they go up against Angola. I think they do. Um, I think without the weight of expectations that they were under in, in Cameroon two years ago, without the weight of the whole the people's team. They are the team that is coming to the AFCON with everyone expecting them to do well. Because these days, those tags have gone to Senegal and then, what's, what's their name? Morocco. I think they can be a bit more expressive. They can play without that self-imposed pressure that limits the sort of structure that they have to adopt. They don't have the problem of Morocco. I keep saying that Morocco might find this tournament the most difficult. They played well at the World Cup playing counter-attacking football at the AFCON, they have to impose themselves in this tournament. Algeria don't have that conundrum. They can play their expressive football and set up in the manner that uh, fits the skill sets of the players that they have got. Mm. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Achu Tamaklo and Fentu Tahiru Fentu of Joy Sports uh, bringing us the analysis here. Thanks so much to Karim and thanks so much to the rest of the team. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. here on Joy 99.7 FM, on Joy Prime and on Joy News. Thank you so much for watching. My name is Nathaniel Atto and I have love for sport. This afternoon on the marketplace, International Monetary Fund pushes board meeting on Ghana to this Friday, January 19. We'll tell you why. Also coming up, Treasury bills oversubscribed by a whopping 46.7% following a further decline in inflation and a debt restructuring agreement between Ghana and its bilateral creditors. My name is Daryl Kwan. Thanks for being with us. Details coming up. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. The International Monetary Fund has rescheduled its board meeting on Ghana to Friday, this Friday, January 19. Jodhi has more on what has resulted in the fund taking this decision despite the country reaching a deal with its external creditors.
Executive Board of BIMF should have met this Thursday, January 18, 2024. However, Joy Business is learning that some of the Executive Board members have made a case for the meeting to be pushed a day forward. This is to give them more time to review Ghana's documents submitted by the IMF staff. Therefore, the change in date has nothing to do with Ghana not meeting the conditions for the board to meet on its program or concerns about the deal reached with its creditors. We also understand that the executive board members need at least three days to review the country's documents. And since Monday is a holiday in USA, the pushback was necessary. This is because the holiday would mean that the mandatory three days would be cut by a day. Sources close to the fund have told Jobbers that everything is in place for the executive board to meet and carry out Ghana's first review under the fund program this fight. This should mean that by next Wednesday, about $600 million should hit Bank of Ghana's account. That is, if the country is able to pass this first review by the IMF on how it has fed under the fund program. Dalati's partner, Deloitte Ghana, he joins us on Zoom uh, with some analysis. Uh, thanks for joining us here. Our sources telling us the IMF Executive Board needs a minimum of three days, work, three working days to carry out the necessary scrutiny and procedural review of Ghana's program and the debt restructuring agreement reached with um, external creditors. What would they be looking out for, do you think? Yeah, thank you very much and good afternoon to you, Cherry U.S. and then listeners. Um, so I guess it will just go back to... If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 